I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to this week's Ulster Rugby Roundup. Your regular panel is back as Jonathan Bradley has returned from his holidays. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, hi, Ari. Any good time? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, I did listen to the podcast in my absence. Oh, what do you think? Well, I can't say I was really feeling the love in my absence. No. Um, Were you expecting to? Well, I thought maybe more of a mention than, yeah, well, he's got sacked. Maybe it would have been. <laughs> but, you what know. What do you want? Well, that's just it. So we know I mean, we roll with the times. We just move. Well, on. that's it. Um, next man up mentality. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Fight for every inch. Yeah. <laughs> Michael obviously did a good job. but uh, Yeah, he did. He was very good. Adam McHenry's back as always. Hey, guys. And I'm your host, Gareth Hanna. This week, we'll discuss Ulster's 47 defeat to Leinster last weekend and more importantly look ahead to this weekend's European Champions Cup clash with Racing. We've got injury news to discuss transfer rumours and all your listener questions. Transfer rumours, it feels like a day in the office just in January when all I have to do is transfer rumours. You're Liverpool about to sign. (laughs) I had actually, I had written, oh there there, Bruno Fernandes and Weston McKenney are today's rumours. Haven't even got them done yet. Who on earth is that second one? Uh, Yeah, I can't remember. Don't know. <laughs> don't know. Can't even remember who was linking them. But anyway, yeah. I don't make these up, by the way. Other people do, and then I just repeat them. First up, then, another disappointment. <laughs> Journalism in a nutshell by Gareth Hanna. <laughs> I should probably take it out in case anybody from work listens to this. Anyway, uh, another disappointing but unexpected uh, defeat, then, on Saturday. Leinster 40, Ulster 7. What exactly do we, we take away from a game like that? Not a great deal, it, it was a very changed Ulster side and a very changed Leinster side. We almost knew it was going to happen, to be honest. We talked about it all of last week uh, in the podcast where we said that Ulster were going to go down, they were going to get beaten, and once they went two tries down the first 15 minutes, that was the writing on the wall, that was the game gone there. And I think it was really typified in that third try and Conor O'Brien's try where Leicester win their own restart and within about 20 seconds they're over the line and scoring again. So, I mean, you can look at some of the individual performances and say, okay, well, you were good and you were good. You know, I may as well name check. I thought James Hume was very good in attack. I thought Greg Jones really stepped up um, and sort of justified almost that, uh, that hype that he's been getting from some of the guys within the squad recently. I thought he had a very good game. Um, <clears throat> but in terms of the game as a whole, Leinster were better, Leinster were stronger, they were physical, they looked more up for it. I think just uh, on the whole, I just think Leinster were far more equipped for that game. And as a result, they came away with the deserving win. For Ulster, you take away the fact that they came away from it, um, knowing a little bit more about some of their young players and they can build from there, in my opinion. John, it was your first day back from holidays. It was, yeah. Just make you want to be back on holidays again, I assume. No, not really. I had a good time. Um, oh, well, that's good. <laughs> it, was, it was the great car journey, wasn't the, uh, it? <laughs> the result, as you said, wasn't unexpected. And after being off for a while, you come back refreshed for these things. So you're just good. like, yeah, good to watch some rugby again. Newly optimistic, it's not like you. Oh, well, not about, like... The game, oh, just, aye, it was, life in general. It was just nice to be at a game again after a few weeks, you know. Uh, that's good. Uh, Adam's mentioned James Hume. Were, were there any other players that sort of you could pick out and say, actually, well, he's done himself, no harm there today? Um, I thought Adam McBurney had a good game. 
Um, obviously, you mean Twitter follower. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, after follower of the podcast as well. Just Isn't he? Point out. Yeah, hu- out huge fan of all social medias. So good. He, sh- he should become our new favorite anyway. Yeah, he should. Well, Michael Lowry's we, on sh- the we shouldn't just <laughs> d- ditch Michael Lowry. <laughs> like but um, thought Adam McBurney had a good game. Um, obviously disrupted a bit with the with the cut that he got having to go off for those ten minutes. Um, Alan O'Connor had a good game. Um, Adam mentioned Hume and Jones, and I thought Maddie Dalton, all things considered, having only played Malone uh, twice, uh, having only played twice for Malone recently, um, I thought he had a fairly slow start to the game, but I thought he grew into it by the end. A listener question at this stage, which which I found fairly interesting as regards the the team selection. Obviously, there were a lot of changes to the the team, even a couple of guys on the bench who hadn't really really seen in Ulster colours before. Uh, Kenny Gad asked, "Does sending a group of young players to get battered, his words, not mine, by the European champions? Uh, to be fair, those could have been anybody's words. Forty-seven, <laughs> it was a batter uh, by European champions reserves. Do." Now, I'll just start again, shouldn't I? Like, I mean, I've really interrupted you, you, too much. You, you, <laughs> you lost this, your flow. You yeah. butchered this at this, this stage. Sorry, sorry, Kenny. Does sending a group of young players to get battered by the European Champions Reserves not do more damage to them than having them sit on the bench and play 10 to 20 minutes at the end of a game? I don't think it's a either-or situation. We've talked before about how the best way to integrate young players into the squad is to do it gradually, surrounded by a full-strength team. Um, and we've looked at the model that the All Blacks use for that. We've talked at length about that before, but um, in terms of what was sent down to Leinster, I don't think it's like the players will learn nothing from that, but learn lots from playing in a full-strength side. Obviously, you're going to learn more playing in a full-strength side, but you see a full-strength side so infrequently that the opportunities to do that are pretty limited in an experienced side. So when you need these players to play is during the Six Nations, during Christmas, during the autumn international window, and they'll get an awful lot of game time that way. And through Ulster this year, we've seen even more of the other method through guys like Michael Lowry playing in a Champions Cup game, Eric O'Sullivan playing every game until um, until last weekend. So we've seen both, both sides of that coin. But that also has to be weighed up against what is the benefit in the long term for Ulster looking at the exposure these players are getting but also in the short term for Ulster of are they better playing those playing frontliners when they're needed for a much more high stakes game this weekend and I'm not saying the Leinster game is high sta- was low stakes but the possibility of winning it means that you have to look at it in the percentage terms. People will people will listen to that and say, but it's Leinster, it's a derby, it's very important. And it is, but you weren't going to win that game, most likely. In the same way that we saw with the Munster game earlier in the season and advocated a weakened team selection and then sort of shied away from our um, <laughs> comments on that after they <laughs> shipped so many points. But um, If we look at the Interpros then as, as a bit of a block... How how do you rate Ulster's performance there? Slightly disappointing. Well, they finished fourth in terms of the provinces as a whole. You know, they only picked up four points. Connacht picked up seven. Both Leinster and Munster got ten. So, if you look at sort of the provincial table, almost Ulster finished bottom. And I think that that's probably what's most disappointing because they had that momentum going after Scarlets, those two Scarlets games, and they kept it going to a certain degree against Munster, and then they just fell flat against Connacht, and Leinster ended up being what it was. So, in terms of 
the provincial table, it doesn't look good. And in terms of the Pro 14 table, mm-hmm. um, it's taken on a bit of a, a sour note as well because Ulster are now fifth. Now, to put that in context, they're only two points off second. So the, it's a very tight table. But in terms of... This is where we could reference these, the, the like uneven fixture lists. Which I still find bizarre, and I just haven't mentioned that while, and I really feel the need to just be like, it's bloody ridiculous that the play that each team plays different. The thing different is that it, it's sh- not, it, it should be so tight, it should be seen as cyclical in a way, but it's not really because mm-hmm. apart from Connaught in the past, and we're now going five, six years in the past um, when Connaught weren't a good side, the Irish teams are always relatively good mm. whereas yeah. and that's where the uneven fixture list comes into play but you can also look at it and say well you would have expected Glasgow to win a game over Christmas mm. it would have really helped Ulster if they had mm. but for them to lose all three changed the uh, really changed the table negatively for Ulster and then but I understand completely what you're saying with you know the Welsh Derbies you obviously get an extra game <laughs> potentially against Dragons or something like that yeah. whereas Ulster's extra game is always going to be against a decent side mm-hmm. certainly at the minute anyway yeah anyway sorry there's no, there's no need to go through it anymore in that again but I just yeah. thought I just haven't mentioned it no, it really like, does no, every, no, every time I look at the tables I'm just this, like yeah. this is crazy like imagine that was happening in the Premier League in England or something well, like oh yeah uh, United never pull up to play each other and said he get to play Crystal Palace an extra time but then like the past to Crystal Palace <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. the, uh, the Premier League <laughs> aspect um, is probably what people here are more used to but you do have uneven schedules in an awful lot of sports mainly American sports I knew you were going to say American yeah. <laughs> make no sense so bad example the NFL was the first one that sprung to my mind where everyone's, everyone's schedule is based on how they did the previous year right, you know yeah. you'll get a tougher schedule if you did well the previous year and you'll get an easier schedule if you did worse it's not the same in the Pro 14 because yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's schedules worked out a different way, but you know, Johnny's right. The Welsh sides theoretically have an easier job of it because an extra game against the Dragons is a lot easier than an extra game against Leinster. Say, so it, theoretically, yes, it should even itself out, but it doesn't, mm-hmm. and that's that's just the bottom line. You yeah. know, some teams will have a tougher uh, fixture list than others. You look at Ulster's ending to the season where they have to go away to Edinburgh, away to Glasgow, not in this order. I think it's away to Glasgow first, then away to Edinburgh and home to Leinster. You know, that that's a really tough run in. Mm. Whereas I think Edinburgh have uh, one of the Italian sides and uh, and Glasgow at home, I believe it is. But you know that mm. it's just that comparison between the two sides. Who's running? Would you rather have? Well, it's Edinburgh's over Ulster's. The thing is, you would much rather just revamp the whole competition, and the way that it's been set up is to protect the sanctity, so-called, of the Irish derbies. Yeah. You haven't always had home and away Irish mm. derbies, so you don't necessarily need that. But mm. the wider picture of it is the only way to fix it is to play less games, and people aren't going to do that, even though it makes an abundant amount of sense mm-hmm. to play less Pro 14 games people aren't going to do that because they need the revenue from the games for the TV deal and the match day revenue yeah. mm-hmm. in an ideal world you'll play everyone twice once home once away yeah. but you can't do that for player safety for travel costs for yeah. everything like that it's, it's ju- it just doesn't work but it, it's an imperfect system and we knew that whenever the Pro 14 was revamped there were all the questions about how this was going to work yeah. and I th- it's proven that it's not perfect but it was never going to be yeah. but if we fix it then we'd miss out 
out on things like Zebra v Ulster the day before Ireland play Italy in the Six Nations and can re- really can we do without games like that yeah, personally I don't know if I can <laughs> I live for games like that <laughs> let's uh, talk a little bit then about a little bit more about the, the interprovincial derbies in terms of we had discussed a lot before them about uh, tactics in terms of squads who plays which game how would you rate Dan McFarland's decision did he get it right I think you're hamstrung in a lot of ways because you were missing Ian Anderson and you were missing Jacob Stockdale regardless mm-hmm. and Rory Best is 36 so if you're looking at it, what Ulster did not do at any stage was go full tilt at a game mm. Best was on the bench against Munster and didn't play in the other two games so you never had the full strength team but the proof of the pudding will be this week really like you look at for me you look at Peter O'Mahony's performance um, Monster against Connacht and how much of an impact he made having had those two weeks off and if you get impacts like that from Best and even possibly Stockdale this week mm-hmm. with the benefit of having the weeks off then you certainly at the minute anyway you might regret it to come the end of the season but certainly you take the hit in the Pro mm-hmm. 14 I the only thing that surprised me was I expected a stronger team to go down to Galway mm-hmm. um, Connacht are playing great rugby at the minute um, getting a lot of good results but with the team that Connacht put out against Leinster I maybe would have expected an Ulster team set up more. But the other thing you have to remember is, and this was put to Dan Farland on Saturday, Saturday evening in the post-match, his response was, I wouldn't be picking these players if they weren't showing up well in training. Like mm-hmm. these aren't, in his words, he's not giving out token Ulster caps to people. It's mm-hmm. He's, in a way, you're rewarding people for what they're doing in training. We've had... John Cooney today praising the work of the secondary team in pre- pre- preparing the first team for harassing. These guys are doing an awful lot of work in training. They're showing Dan McFarland something in training um, to be selected for games like this. But the frustration from a fan's perspective obviously comes when, as Adam sort of alluded to there, you get four points, Connick at seven, Leinster get ten, and Munster get ten. You mm-hmm. obviously want more of a return for of than four points from three games and I thought maybe the Connacht one was the chance you know if you play a slightly stronger team in Connacht do you at least come away with a bonus point mm-hmm. would one point you know if you were taking five or even if you had got the bonus point against Munster when Munster sent a shadow side would six have been acceptable it yeah. probably would have been mm-hmm. um, I don't think you were ever likely to take much from the RDS so I think six six would have been a decent return yeah. A more than decent return, but it, again, it's those. Um, it's that balancing act. Is is the frustration of looking back now and thinking if we had sent a full strength side to Connacht, could we have gotten something? If everyone started mm. against Monster, could we have gotten that bonus point? That's the problem. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, but it's always too late. I think if you look at this block of games, if you take the Monster game out of it, because they were going with the exception of best on the bench they're going as full strength as they could if you look at Connacht and Leinster as two sort of building games regardless of whether you think and I, I do agree with you Johnny I think they should have gone full strength down to Galway but regardless of whether you think they should or not if you look at the two latter games as building games and you look at the likes of what James Hume has done 
uh, across those two games. You're giving Maddie Dalton time. Rob Little's coming back from injury. Um, Tom O'Toole got a couple of games. You know, you, you're giving guys more chances again, and I think you've still got to keep that bigger picture in mind. You know, Ulster haven't you know ruled themselves out of Pro 14 contention. They've given guys some rest. They've given guys some time off just to build ahead of the Racing game, which is massive in the context of their season. I know we're going to go on and talk about this, but you know, if they can if they can have a European quarterfinal to look forward to after the Six Nations, the boost that gives to the club during the Six Nations is massive. So I think this week will this week and next week against uh, Racing and Leicester will be just as important in determining how well they manage that sort of festive period in terms of squad selection. Well, before we go on to talk about any more, let's hear a little bit from Dan McFarland, who spoke to the media after the game against Leinster. Well, I think in the pace of the ball was the was was the key thing. You know, they they were pretty sharp. They were able to get into the gaps in between us. Um, it looked as if, even though we were we were working hard, um, it looked as if they were finding spaces. And, and uh, even when we were making decent tackles, the ball resulting from that was was quick, and uh, it was putting us under pressure. Um, they weren't losing the ball, um, you know, and, and that that was a big difference. Like, you know, we put some good phases of attack together. Um, we, we, we looked to try and play a little bit through them, a little bit with offloads. Um, when we did stress them, we weren't able to finish them off. I think the other the other thing is, and, and, and this was, was noticeable um, last week against Comet, um, as soon as we put a, a little bit of um, good play together, got a score, uh, we, we then put a very bad bit of play together. And, and as a consequence, all of that, that energy or that momentum that we'd gained from the previous part of play is totally knocked out. And it's almost, it's almost worse than having had it in the first place. Before we move on and talk about the Racing game then, a few rumours that surfaced on Monday that Vihan Herbst was about to leave Ulster. Those reports came out in South Africa on Network 24. Um, I spent ages having to physically type the Afrikaans into Google Translate because you didn't copy and paste off their website. I'm also signing up for a month free trial on Network 24. Nice! But I can't speak Afrikaans, which is useless to me. Just for, <laughs> remember to cancel it. I, I right now. <laughs> don't want to pay for that. Um, but yes, what we learned from that is that they claim that Bian Herbst is perhaps uh, leaving Ulster in the coming days, they said. But we then spoke to people from Ulster who said that wasn't the case and it was the first they had heard of it. Have we heard any more on this, John? We've not heard any more. Ulster say that it's not happening. Um, Sources in South Africa say that it is happening. If you're a cynical man, which obviously nobody here is, (laughs) but if you're a cynical man and you were looking at the Super Rugby schedule and thinking that the meaningful Super Rugby season from a Bulls perspective is going to be condensed this year because of the World Cup, so if you were a player who was out of contact this year and signing for a Super Rugby side, if you were to join them after the conclusion of a Northern Hemisphere contract, you wouldn't actually be playing a game of rugby until February of 2020. So theoretically, if you were that person, maybe it would make an awful lot of personal sense for you to be released from your Ulster contract mm-hmm. to go and play a full season with the Bulls rather than wait until February 2020 if you were to mm-hmm. complete your contract here. Take from that what you will. 
From, but from an Ulster perspective, to play from an Ulster perspective, it makes no sense. No sense. Yeah, it makes yeah. no sense to let him go because you're already struggling for props as it is, more mm-hmm. on the loose head side than the tight head side. But you know, you need every available body at the moment. So releasing one of your props who can do a passable job on the mm-hmm. tight head side, you know, it, it really doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. And that especially doesn't make sense in the wake of Kyle McCall's injury. It's it's not good news. It's not good news. It's significant. A significant hamstring injury is the, that was wording on Ulster's yeah, injury. The, uh, the the term du jour for <laughs> bad news. Um, I mean, whenever Paul O'Connell's hamstring injury was significant, I actually think Kyle McCall's previous hamstring injury was yeah. significant. I don't know why I'm doing air quotes in the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> whenever the entire stadium gasps as the yeah. replay is played oh. on the screen, you know it's a significant injury. Yeah. So basically, <clears throat> we're definitely not like, likely to see him again this season, to say the least. No, he's seen a surgeon this week, and if you need surgery on your hamstring, then it's um, obviously bad news. Mm-hmm. Where there's only four and a half months of games left. So where does that leave Ulster? I mean, we have a few questions this week uh, regarding transfers, all sort of slightly different, differently worded, but all getting at the same thing. Um, where are Ulster sitting, first of all, in terms of the, the prop positions now? Can you play Lucid? Absolutely not, no. Right, okay. So that's so, what that's um, one of our first-line options. Out. So that's <laughs> it. Uh, they might have to register Dan McFarland at this stage. Could be a good idea. Why not? Bounce. Mm-hmm. Throw it out there. It'd be good for the hits on the website, so <laughs> keep my fingers crossed for that. Any chance Salk van der Merwe wants to come back? I was going to say, what, what is Salk doing? Is he, still, <laughs> is he still registered? How quickly can we get him here? That would open up another line of questions that we've um, had for the first half of the season. Yeah. Basically, it looks like with... Rodney, i.e. he was mooted as a loose head option in pre-season, allowed to depart, and Skalk van der Merwe allowed to depart. I mean, this is, this is basically just bad luck. We shouldn't say, oh, they should have kept these boys around because we didn't... Because nobody at the time yes, was saying... Yes, oh, no, nobody, yeah, nobody was saying this at the time. But Tommy O'Hagan, who is somebody who's been very unlucky with injuries, was so close to his debut a few times, but for injury, and gets on against Connacht, suffers a bad injury then a week later Kyle McCall another one who's had his own bad luck with injuries suffers an injury and all of a sudden you've got two loose heads the problem with the timing of this is um, like we've floated the idea about Peter Dooley before Um, there's been more murmurs about that certainly recently with a view maybe to next season but we're coming into the time when if your focus on medical jokers is within Ireland, as it has been, certainly as far back as when Ulster were trying to get a medical replacement for Marcel Kutsia, or whenever that was first floated, and the focus was so very much on Ireland, we're not at a time when other provinces are going to want to release players. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen Nagel come up, and that's been a success. But Leinster are about to lose 20-odd players to your Six Nations. Mm-hmm. So, and Munster will lose there. Certainly, um, Dave Colcoyne will go. Yeah, I mean, Le- Leinster are going to lose Healy and McGrath. Yeah. Munster are going to lose Dave Kilcoyne. Um, and with all due respect to Connacht, there's nobody you really want to take from there. So you're looking at Munster needing to keep the next three below that and Leinster keeping the next three below that. And by that stage, you're down into academy players, probably from both sides, which, you know, they're not going to move either. So 
there, there's nobody from the other provinces that you're gonna want to take. So could we get to a stage then very soon where Ulster are looking at alternative options from within Ulster? Well, this is something that Brendan Cunningham spoke about a while ago, that if they did have to go down to the club game, he didn't think that was necessarily such a bad thing. Now, it hasn't happened yet, but you may be looking at somebody like, I don't know, Crummy at Banbridge would probably be next in line. Um, if the, if you were to go down that route... Um, Ross Keane, I think I'm right in saying, played Lucid in school. Um, I think. I'm almost sure. Um, go for it. Nobody but else. At the, but at that stage, you're then taking an option away from Tighthead, and if you start getting injuries at Tighthead... And Vian Herbst is going away. Especially <laughs> if Vian Herbst is away back to South Africa. Yeah. You know, the, then you're suddenly hamstringing yourself. That was a bit of an unintentional pun. Mm. But, pun but, um, <laughs> You're really struggling for numbers then, a prop. I think at this point, Ulster have to start looking at someone. It Pretty, probably yeah, won't. Yeah, you absolutely have to yeah. if you've got two loose heads yeah. for the rest of the season. So, I mean, is, um, as we're saying, the chances of it being someone within Ireland is probably limited because of the timing. So you're mm-hmm. probably looking at going abroad somewhere. And in that case, your pool's very limited of loose heads who are Irish qualified I know Jack O'Connell is still with um, I think it's Ealing Trailfinders in the championship but they've uh, he's just signed a new contract extension so you're probably going to have to pay a bit to get him out of that there's got to be a Georgian somewhere <laughs> what's Peter's really up to is he still playing for Cardiff is he still headbutting people in Cardiff <laughs> so, so we can just wait and see on that one then as to, to who Ulster will get in but we can safely assume that they will be looking to get somebody um, Dwayne Peel said today that they hadn't had uh, any conversations about it just yet right, okay. just I would like to, just I would like to hope they're hastening those conversations yeah. very quickly <laughs> we'll keep an eye on, on all those developments then um, elsewhere on the injury front Angus Kernahan looks set to be out until the middle of February with guess what hamstring injury although not significant which is which is a relief for everyone concerned <laughs> well, can, we, can we talk a little bit about that because Ulster's back three reserves are starting to become very limited as well well obviously um, Henry Spate was brought in to cover the absence of Ludic who is now back I don't have the numbers to hand but Craig Gore has not played an awful lot of games he hasn't played since the Southern Kings game and that was back at the very start of November yeah. or, or at the very end of there's been a number of times when it looked like he was close to coming back. He was even named on the bench and then not taken off the bench and then Pete Nelson appeared, um, mm. which was confusing for everybody. But um, <laughs> aside from that, you know, so he's had these times when he's looked close. I think he said recently in one of the half-time interviews that he was a few weeks away and that was obviously a few weeks ago. But he's not going to be good for this week. Um He's not going to be good for Leicester either. Yeah, so that's um, that's a big blow without Spade here now. And I mean, so it, it mean it we've seen today to that they've registered. Sorry, uh, <laughs> seen today that they've registered uh, Robert Balakin coming back in off his uh, his suspension. Um, Adam actually had that. You, you must have read the email while Dwayne Peel was talking because you I, were able to ask him a question about it when it happened literally as he was sat at the table. I, I literally, like genuinely, the email came in as I was walking up to set my phone on the table to record the interview. And I was like, excellent. Nobody else will have this. I mean, I'm able to get like, you know, first dibs on this. But no, you, you, <laughs> first dibs to Dwayne Peel on big news about Robert Ballack. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, in terms of who Ulster have in the back three now, it's Ludic, 
Balakoon. Stockdale, we think, will be fit, but the, that's not 100%. Um, and Will Addison. Mm-hmm. Rob, sorry, Rob Little's come back in. Is he registered? He's not, he's not registered in the European squad, so he's not even an option. So you've got four players for the back three, um, and because you've taken Addison for the back three, that then mm-hmm. rules him out of centre. Although we have, I had this discussion where because they've registered Balakoon instead of Hume, we think Addison will probably play thirteen, and you're going to have Balakoon on the wing with Stockdale on the other and. Ludic at 15. I'm getting very sidetracked here, but the, the thing yeah. is, Ulster, this, this is the downside of culling the squad and getting the guys back, or um, trying to put a focus on bringing the youth through. You're now very short in numbers. I think, that, yeah, that's a big part of the issue because we can't sit here as we have done and say it's great that Ulster are trimming the fat from the squad and then complain when they have to give people like Robert Balakun a chance in big games. You know, it, it, you can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. This is um, a stance that Ulster have taken, and it's one that has been advocated not just by us but by a lot of people. So this is the fallout of that when mm-hmm. that happens. When you get a couple of injuries in the same position, you're giving the chance. You have to give the chances to the young players in big games. It's a, very different at loose head, obviously, where it's so specialised a position. I, but I, I still think it's a good thing though that they're calling the squad. I think it's great that you're seeing guys forced into these positions now I'm not saying you should do that on a regular basis but you know the fact that Balakoon is going to get a chance against wrestling the fact that Mike Lowry's already got his chance the fact Eric O'Sullivan's already got his chance the development of these guys has been incredible and I think playing in the Champions Cup is one of the big reasons why they're all doing so well they're being forced to step their game up a level to compete at this level and they're flourishing Eric Hodor O'Sullivan, just to give him his, his full title there while we're on t- in recent weeks of titles of, of uh, players' names. That's uh, going to so be a tough one to catch on, especially when you don't explain. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Probably, he just held the door open for me earlier and was very polite and insisted I went in first and it was very nice. Yeah, so, so, so right, he, thank he, you very much, Hodor. I didn't say that. <laughs> so, so he's a nice guy, is what we've learned. Do we yeah. also have to explain Game of Thrones to people now? Nah, so no, they don't watch yeah, it there. We, we frankly they're, don't have time for they're that. No, they're no friends of mine. <laughs> um, We've branched onto it slightly anyway. Also, we're playing Racing this weekend and very light on numbers. So, um, you you had gone through the, the back line there, hadn't you? Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Do you want, want, to, go, off do you want me to go through the rest of what I think it's going to be? You know, just <laughs> let's let's go for the rest of the the team issues. They're really that those are the main issues. Hoping that Stockdale's back is the main fingers crossed. Well, hoping that Stockdale's back. Hoping that Kutsey is back, <laughs> which we think he will be. Um, which think that those two are going to play. Um, then, as Adam sort of alluded to there, the other decision is whether you keep Addison at 13, which it looks like they're going to, otherwise you wouldn't have registered Balakoon. And then the only other decision to make that I can see really is whether you go Sean Reedy or Nick Timoney and whether you go Kieran Treadwell or Ian Nagel or Alan O'Connor as uh, two from two from three. See, one of, one of the things is we were having this discussion on the way back from... Uh, on the way back from Dublin on Saturday about the the, the debate between Reedy and Timoney because it does seem to be that it's uh, Kutsia and Murphy are pretty entrenched in the 6 and 7 jerseys and then you've got one or the other playing 8 um, I was actually I, I wasn't overly impressed at 
the time against Leinster by Sean Reedy. But looking at the numbers, he actually had a very good game in terms of both tackles and carries. So Sean Reedy quietly accumulates more stats than possibly any other player I've ever seen. He does. He's like he, he always, you always look at his stat line afterwards, and it's always like 17, 18 tackles. Yeah, very quietly goes about his business. Yeah, and that, that's player. that's the kind of player you need. That's the kind of player you need to round out that back row. So I think Sean Reedy should um, should be in that number eight jersey again. But um, in, in terms of what what you need, you, you need a twenty three man performance against Racing, and they also need to find that clinicality that they didn't have in Paris because if if they had managed to score one more try, sort of in that first sort of half an hour period where they were right in the mix there, the game could have been completely different. If they'd finished off two more of their however many chances they had in the second half of that one, they come away with one more point, and what they need over these last two games is uh, is a lot easier than what it is at the moment. So that's what you have to do in these last two games. You have to maximise your return from these games, otherwise Ulster could end up being the team on the outside looking in again. Mm. And one of the things that a lot of people asked at the press conference today was, do you need to be in in the quarterfinals this year to show that you're making progress? I think after last year, if they did exactly the same thing again this year, because this, this season so far is following a very... Mer- or sorry, sorry, just the last few weeks, is following a very similar pattern to last year where you lose to Connacht, lose to Leinster, and you go in against a French side and away to an English side. If you do exactly the same thing that you did last year, I think that has a lot of uh, that has a real detrimental effect on this squad because you know, have, having that happen to you two years in a row is just a hammer blow. I would argue that it's a very different feel to the way that they've got to this position, but we don't really have time to go into this, <laughs> but that's just Yeah. It just reminded me because I saw a lot of even like Articles referencing it, the, the the similarities between this season and last season, just reminded me of all those stats that used to fly about comparing Jurgen Klopp to Brenton Rodgers and how their uh, yeah. their Liverpool records were identical. I was like, yeah, but it's totally different. <laughs> I mean, it, it it is it is totally different. But even just having that mindset of it's happened to us two years in a row, I think yeah. I think that does carry over because they put from themselves in such a good position again. Exactly. It you know, would, this would be disappointing. This, not this to year, advantage. Uh, last year, it would have been a bonus if they made it to the quarterfinals. This year, with the position they've put themselves in, particularly with the fact that. You know, if they win this week, they're almost in already. They they could theoretically lose in Leicester, and they might still have enough points to get in. Obviously, they prefer to win both, but they they could potentially go win lose and still make it in. I think yeah. it would be really really hard on this team if they didn't make it. Yeah, if anybody wants the the permutations in depth of that, we did cover it at the time, so you can re-listen to that little bit of the the post. Uh, what was it? Scarlet, post Scarlet, yeah, post Scarlet scheme. Uh, there was also an article on it, wasn't it? Yeah, you can su- support Monster in Edinburgh, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I couldn't remember. Yeah, uh, what do we reckon then on the pitcher Ulster's chances? I mean, um, providing the, the the big players are back in Ulster, with their Ireland internationals are pretty good, as we've said before. So, well, uh, like, could see has been training, so he's obviously going to be a big ad, and I think. I don't think they have a chance of winning without Henderson and Katsia. Um and they're obviously going to be without Henderson. Yeah. So Katsia's involvement would be huge. I don't know. I 
it would not surprise me at all to see them win. I'd say that. Because the last time we saw an Ulster team of anything like the strength that we should see on Saturday was the second Scarlet's game. So I'm not putting too much stock on what we've seen the last couple of weeks. But Rassing are obviously a very, very good side. They're not as um, dominant in the top 14 this year, um, but they did have a good win against Toulon when they basically played their full-strength side, but they have an awful lot of depth. They could still make changes and bring in good players. But I, and Obviously, we have seen them travel well in the European Cup before, but I just think with what it means to Ulster, what it means to Racing and the fact that Ulster are at home and have this record at home excluding the Bordeaux dead rubber and the um, Toulon game mm-hmm. uh, against French sides here, this this game reminds me an awful lot of we talked about those similarities with last year this game reminds me an awful lot of La Rochelle at exactly this time last year mm. Ulster love a scalp over a French team in Belfast and a, it wouldn't even be considered a scalp I think anymore but you know certainly during those those lean years, even whenever those big franchises came across, they still managed to pick up those wins mm-hmm. uh, here in Belfast. And you, you look at Racing's uh, away record recently; they've lost their last two away from home, including a hammering at Bordeaux, forty points to seven, with a side that wasn't too far off full strength. It definitely wasn't full strength, but they had some of their big names out there. The they haven't been clicking away from home. That's completely different in the European Cup, where they do always find another level. They are one of the very few French teams, if possibly the only one, that is built for winning the European Cup rather than the top 14. But I think whenever you, as Johnny said, whenever you take into account all the factors, what it means to Ulster, what how they could set themselves up if they win, their players are rested, they're ready to go... I do think Ulster have it in them to win this one, um, but it's it's going to be so tight. I think Rassing are going to come with a mentality of just going straight over the top of them, just like they did in the, just like they did in Paris. The vast majority of the players that are going to be playing now, some of them are on holiday last week, but an awful lot of the players that are going to be playing on um, Saturday have been focused on this game for two weeks. Yeah. Whereas Racing yeah. had to focus on that too long game. Ulster took a different approach. It means so much more to Ulster than it does to Racing in terms mm. of the table. Because even if Racing lose, they're still going to go through. Mm. Um, because all they have to do is beat a Scarlet team that's got like two points so far. But they've got the first seed to wrap up, which would have them at home all the way to mm. the final. And that makes it so much easier as well. I I I, I don't a second seat. <laughs> I I know I know this isn't what you're saying, but I wouldn't you know say this means so much more to Ulster. You know I th- I think Racing would love to have uh, their qualification and a home quarterfinal potentially wrapped up by the end of this weekend, and then they could come back to their cinema uh, arena and you know put on a real show against whatever side the Scarlets send over, which will probably be twenty academy players. Mm. Um, so, I, I don't think you're going to necessarily see Racing come over and go, you know, whether we win or not, it really doesn't matter. Um, maybe if Ulster go two tries up this time uh, at Kingspan, I think 
maybe then you'll see Rossin go, okay, right, we'll get this done next week instead. But I think you'll see Rossin come out and really give it a go from the very start. I'm going to liken it more to the Claremont game from a few years ago. I think it'll, I think it'll just pan out very similarly to that. I think it'll be two sides who will uh, really enjoy attacking each other as opposed to a, a game where you have to grind it out. Mm. Well, you can follow that game on Saturday afternoon. kicks off at 3.15. There'll be live updates on the website and then lots more reaction online and in the newspapers, Sunday Life and Belfast Telegraph. I'll be, yeah, I'll be reading both of them. So yeah, I'll be yeah, blogging again, yeah, and I'll not be there. The man that makes arguably more difference to Ulster than anybody else then is, of course, back this week. Rory Best. He was back in the hot seat as well at the press conference, and here's a little bit of what he had to say. I think absolutely with the position we're in and um, the home game coming up, and, and you look at the the other groups, uh, we have a really really good. Um, possibility of going through um, and yeah look I think it'll be a sign of, of, of how far we've come I think probably the difference is I think we've looked a bit stronger getting into this position than we did last year um, like the Harlequins game December last year were, were pretty good the snow kind of ruined the one away but I think we've been we've been fairly comprehensive not just in the European games in December but up to the up to the Connacht game, you know, like the Munster and the Cardiff games as well. You know, we've had bits of those games where we've looked we've looked pretty good. Listener questions then, as always, we'll begin with the weekly Dono, Dono O'Reilly, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, he asks much, well, he says much was made of J10, who I'm told is in reference to Johnny Saxon, but that is terrible. Please do not let that nickname catch on. Uh, Johnny Saxon's fiery performance against Munster last weekend, and some question his ability to captain Leinster with that temperament. Now, he says, Alan O'Connor has had his fair share of handbags and yellow cards. Take nothing away from his performances and commitment to Ulster. Do you think his temperament is suitable for captaincy? I hashtag th- the weekly Donald. Return <laughs> to Phil hashtag this week. Um, the question references sort of the handbags that caused the penalty reversal on Saturday when Ulster would have had um, another line out. And it was a huge moment in the game because in like a six-minute spell, Ulster won three penalties in Leinster's half and ended up scoring no points from them. Um, one was a Johnny McPhillips miss, one was a miscue at the line-out, and then there was the referee uh, pinging Alan O'Connor. So that, in isolation, was a big moment in the match because if you had scored two tries in the first, what would have been half an hour, you had a chance of getting something from the game or keeping pace with Leinster for much longer than you managed to in the end. It was hugely deflating time in the game as well, having scored, given up the score to Leinster so quickly after that and then not being able to counter-punch, as it were, because um, of those missed opportunities. But Alan O'Connor somebody who's very well respected in the squad, doesn't take a backward step. And I think with players like that um, who play somewhat on the edge, you do get that sort of, um, I suppose, occasional flare-up. I, d- I didn't think it was that bad, really. Um, it was silly more than anything else, but you see things in the game that don't get blown for that. Um, I, I don't think it was as bad, for instance, as ripping off the scrum cap and throwing it at a guy <laughs> that... Uh, we saw Johnny Sexton do. Yeah. Um, there's an awful lot to captaining aside. Uh, it's not just, I suppose, things like that. 
And essentially what I'm saying is I think Alan O'Connor is a fine whatever he is, third, fourth choice captain for the team. Ulster's pack has long been criticised for being a bit too soft. You know, so whenever you see a guy stepping up like that and, you know, being willing to stand up to opposition players for his teammates, I think that says a lot about him and how much he cares about this team. So, look, at, at the time, yes, was that maybe the wrong time to do it? Maybe, but... I think it says a lot about him. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily a negative. In isolation in the game, as Johnny said, yep, it's it's not the best time. But in terms of as a whole, I think it shows that he's willing to lay down uh, a lot for this team. Like Marcel got pinged for something silly recently as well. Um, descent of some kind in a recent game, possibly against the Scarlets. He would be your choice to lead the team if it wasn't Alan O'Connor. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You are... Ulster fans, and to a certain extent Ireland fans, who don't all, who, some of whom maybe don't appreciate Rory Best's ability to interact with the referee, are spoiled by having one of the best captains, one of the best referee um, interactors. Is that a word? <laughs> referee whisperer. Referee whispers <laughs> in World Rugby in the shape of Rory, Rory Best. Referee whisperer Best. The nicknames just keep coming. <laughs> But they're thinking, getting harder and harder to use in yeah, everyday conversations. Yeah. I was so. just thinking, if, if some people are like a few seasons behind Game of Thrones, we've given a massive spoiler. No, we have Well, I didn't really know oh, what we you were talking actually, about. Yeah. And right. as we previously said, I don't watch Game of Thrones, oh, yeah. and yet you but still said like 10 minutes right later, anyone who doesn't watch Game of Thrones is no friend of mine. Yeah, which I, I forgot. You know. forgot you didn't, but you're going to start, and you have a massive spoiler, and that's why you like blanked at me and said that, forgot you didn't watch it. Anyhow, Steve McCormick asks, is Lowry too small to be a 15, i.e. to defend against huge centres and wingers? He's too small to take many more boots to the face. Um, yeah. Everybody's too small to take a bit to the face. Exactly, exactly. I think I think people probably will make a big deal about Larry's size in relation to the injuries that he's had recently. But when someone was coming through the air like that, it didn't really matter what height he was. He was going to take a clatter, and do you know what I mean. Um, I think whenever you think of Larry, certainly seeing him play schools rugby, the obvious comparison especially with the skill that he has and the way that he plays quite flat to the line. The comparison that people would have drawn from their style of games was to Paddy Jackson, who was obviously seen as undersized as well, um, really bulked up from his first emergence in the team to whenever he was an international quality player. So that's the trajectory that you're hoping for, bearing in mind that Laurie is 20. He's always going to be a couple inches smaller than Paddy was because... Three, three inches shorter is it yeah. um, so that is somewhat you're not comparing apples and oranges but I think there is enough of a similarity there that you can point to I don't think it's like you have to turn him into um, Cheslin Colby or somebody like that just because he happens to be a smaller guy you know yeah. I think being quite small for a fullback is also not very beneficial for coming and taking high balls, which we saw against Leicester. You know, Leicester put Jordan Oluwafella up against him, and I think Oluwafella's six foot five or something like and that. And Larry claimed the next one over the top of his head and was like, I'll take that penalty. Well, yes, but at the same time, 
it's a it's a big drawback whenever you're trying to play fullback and you're going up against like big tall guys like that. I think everyone sees Larry's future at ten, and I think the sooner he starts playing there, the sooner Ulster will see the benefits of what he can do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what once he starts playing ten, I don't think he'll get to play fifteen much more because we we know the kind of talent he has and we know how good he is at running a line from when we saw him at Inst. I think he's just gotta get that first game at ten and see if he can go from there. And Ulster have a fine history of very, very talented non tackling tens. So he'll be in good company. <laughs> Okay. Well, we have one final listener question then with a difference from Darkside Lightside who has asked some, some uh, good questions over the, the last while, none better than this one. Would you rather fight a Kutsia-sized Lowry or two Lowry-sized Kutsias? A Kutsia-sized Lowry. He's a real thinker. See, the two Lowry-sized Kutsias could gang up on you. Like, whereas... And they'd be fierce. Imagine just a massive Michael Lowry. That's like your dream come true. But the thing is, with the massive Michael Lowry, would he still be? Would he still be Michael Lowry? Like I don't think. I don't think Michael Lowry, even if he was the size of Katsia, would lay you out. No, that's I, just, yeah, I, I don't know if he's in his nature. And like Marcel's a nice guy, but don't get me wrong. I get the impression that if you crossed Marcel, it would not end well for you. Yeah. So if there was two of them, even if they were the size of Michael Lowry. Yeah. You know? I agree. I, I think the same. Yeah. I'd absolutely I, take the Katsia size. Basically, I don't, I don't want to get in a fight with Marcel Katsia. No matter what size he is. That's what I'm saying here. And imagine there were two of them. So I think the, gen- the general consensus is the Marcel Katsia size. <laughs> Michael Lowry. Michael yeah. Lowry could still spark me out. Like, I'm not... Yeah, <laughs> yeah you were I mean, very confident I, that I, Michael Lowry would not knock you out. But you're saying I'm, I'm not wouldn't. a strong man in general, but... Um, but what you're saying is you think he wouldn't rather than couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's because we've still been so nice about him for so long. <laughs> Why would he ever hit anyone? He's probably unaware of it all. <laughs> probably, blissfully. Uh, finally then, we have um, club and school action coming up this weekend, I believe, Adam. Yeah, um, club roundup happened last week. Uh, First Trust Senior Cup semi-finals were held. City of Armagh will get a chance to defend their Senior Cup title in the final after they defeated Rainy Old Boys in their um, 31-15 at the Palace Grounds. And it'll be a rematch of last year's final, Delphius Ballymena at Kingspan Stadium, following the Brave Men's 22-20 victory over Ballina Hinch. And then looking forward to this weekend, the only thing that's on is the Danskebank Schools Cup. It is the second round. Belfast High School take on Strabane Academy. That's where I'll be at. Dremore High take on Regent House. Grosvenor Grammar face Friends. Cambridge House are up against Bambridge Academy. Carrickfergus Grammar play down high. Limavady Grammar are against Lauren Grammar. And Lurgan College take on Foyle College. They're all on Saturday, all at half past ten. And then we have the draw following those games, we believe. Yes, <coughs> which is, again, hopefully where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, so we'll hopefully bring you live coverage of the draw. Well, maybe not live coverage, let's not promise too much <laughs> more than we've, we've planned for just yet. But we'll bring you some sort of coverage of the Schools Cup results and the draws on the draw on the website on Saturday. But this is not the draw where uh, the top teams, Campbell, etc. will enter. That is the next one. Indeed. Which so, I got wrong because I thought it was the next which round, we have but been it's not. Reliably informed uh, by our work experience, Tom from BRA Winger doesn't want to be on the podcast, but is here listening. I know. <laughs> there he is. He was on the podcast. <laughs> Enjoyed my Hodor joke, so 
a friend I of a mine. Joke, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Die. Laughter. <laughs> so that's pretty much us for this week. Jonathan has done his usual trick of walking off before it's over, but here right. we are. Uh, we'll maybe have to like splice in one of his thank yous from the previous week again. He's, which just, I he's just not polite enough to yeah. say goodbye. Nobody noticed that last time when he left, and then I just like copied in his thank you from the week before. So we'll do that again. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was very Here funny. Here Here's some copy and paste, folks, from Jonathan Bradley. Thanks very much. There it is. From Adam McAndrew. <laughs> Cheers, guys. From Tom and Work Experience. Thank you. And me, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening. Yeah.